This is Inputs, the podcast by Top Crop Manager, Canada's national source for the latest agronomic research, crop production, and technology trends. You've tuned in to hear conversations about relevant research, best production practices, and everything in between. Welcome, everyone. My name is Dylan Shirley, and I will be your host for this week's episode. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Megan Vankoski. She is a research scientist at the Agriculture and Agri-Foods Canada Saskatoon Research and Development Center. Megan, welcome to Inputs. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. <laughs> we are very happy to have you on this week to talk about some big monitoring network for specifically agriculture insect pests that has been going on through Agriculture and Ag Foods Canada and some other partners over the last couple of years. But just before I kind of get more into it, could you talk about what exactly is the Prairie Pest Monitoring Network? Sure. The Prairie Pest Monitoring Network is a collaborative group that has been conducting annual monitoring of insect pests across the prairie since the mid-1990s. The idea was originated by Dr. Owen Olfert, uh, who had recognized that we were losing entomological expertise across the prairies and that insect monitoring wasn't being done in the same way across each of the three prairie provinces. And having some idea of what was happening across the prairies as a whole could be very important. And so in order to maximize the expertise we did have and to standardize how we were monitoring insect pests across the prairies, the Prairie Pest Monitoring Network was born. It started off with just a few insects, and since then it's grown to include a few more as we've had some invasive insects become established on the prairies, like cabbage seed pod weevil and pea leaf weevil. Today, it's still led out of Saskatoon by myself, but it's co-chaired by Jennifer Otani, who's at Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada in Beaver Lodge. And our role is to kind of oversee and coordinate our activities, and we have so many volunteers Uh, including the volunteers and collaborators. We have our collaborators are the provincial entomologists in the three prairie provinces, as well as the Saskatchewan Crop Insurance Corporation, for example, and uh, a number of industry commissions like Alberta Canola and, and Sask Pulse. And so we work with all of those people to collect as much insect monitoring data as we can every year. Fantastic. So I know you just mentioned a couple of the insects, uh, cabbage seed pod weevil, but what other insects have historically been involved in the Prairie Pest Monitoring Network? And what are some other ones that more recently have been included into the surveying? Well, grasshoppers have a long history of being monitored on the prairies. And so it's only natural that we've been monitoring for grasshoppers throughout the existence of the PPMN. We also monitor for wheat midge, uh, wheat stem sawfly, although that's really only in Alberta. Like I said, pea leaf weevil and cabbage seed pod weevil, which were invasive pests. We use uh, pheromone traps every year to monitor Bertha armyworm adult populations during their flight period. We also put up traps for diamondback moths so that we can detect when they're arriving on the prairies. And more recently, we've been putting out pheromone traps for swede midge, which is not known to be established on the prairies, but is something that we're watching out for because it could be quite a devastating pest in the canola industry. So we have a relatively small number of traps, only about 30 to 50 every year that we've been trying to get out across the prairies for Swede midge. 
But yeah, I think that kind of covers off the, the core of our insects. Uh, so there's about six that we monitor every year and then a few add-ons depending on how things are going. And six already kind of sounds like you have almost the entire prairies covered right there other than, you know, the lovely wheat sim soft fly. So in terms of when these surveys kind of happen, is this an entire growing season expedition to go out and find these insects or... Is it more targeted at like the end of the season or at the beginning of the season? Well, that's an interesting question because the the monitoring takes place throughout the entire growing season, but we monitor for different insects at different times during the growing season. So Shelley Barkley in Alberta, for example, she's the acting provincial entomologist in a way there since Scott Mears retired. And Shelley starts with the peel-leaf weevil survey in late May, early June, and does not stop traveling until after Thanksgiving when she's collected the last of the soil cores for the wheat midge survey. So it is all throughout the season, but it's different insects at different times. So we do start generally with Peely Fleevil. Our diamondback moth traps go up at about the same time for early detection. We target the cabbage seed pod weevil as canola is starting to flower, so kind of late June, early July. Wheat midge and grasshoppers are more of an end of season thing. So we're, we're collecting soil cores and looking for the wheat midge cocoons in the soil after the end of the year. And we're using that information kind of as a forecast or part of our forecast to what the risk could be next year. Similar with grasshoppers is we're looking for adult numbers kind of in the harvest period, because again, that gives us an idea of how many reproductive adults are out there and whether or not they're going to be laying eggs that are going to contribute to risk the next year. So it is kind of an all through the season thing with a different species at at different times. So that kind of leads into what kind of data that you're collecting. You know, I think a lot of people think we just go out in the fields with our sweep nets and then we're just collecting raw physical numbers of maybe adults or a different larval instar. But What other kinds of insect data are you trying to go out there and collect? And how does that kind of go into trying to find out what the population looks like in that field? Well, again, it's very species specific. In, In some cases, we have economic thresholds. And so we're trying to match the data that we're collecting in the field during our monitoring efforts to the economic thresholds. Because then that's a value that farmers can use in terms of on the ground or at the end of the season, we can say like the population density was this for this species. And and so related to the economic threshold, that value has some meaning. So for the peel leaf weevil, for example, we do have a nominal threshold that we use that's the number of notches on the clam leaves. And so we make sure that we we actually do a survey for damage on the plants, not for the weevils themselves. And so we go out to the field and we count the notches on the entire plant and on the clam leaf because those give us an idea of the population density. But we can also relate that to the economic threshold for that pest. The monitoring protocols that we use are species specific and wherever possible related to these thresholds. And they're available on our website so that farmers and agronomists or anyone who's out looking for insect pests can use those protocols and monitor in the same way that the Prairie Pest Monitoring Network is monitoring so that they can compare their estimates in their fields to what we're finding for their region, for example. 
But we do look for some species in particular for the cabbage seed pod weevil survey. We do go out and use our sweep nets and we're looking to count the number of adult weevils per sweep. We're also though counting all of the other insects that we find in those sweeps as an idea of what the pollinator population looks like and the beneficial insect population looks like in canola, at least in Saskatchewan, since I joined in 2016, we've been going through the net and, and counting all of those other insects as well. It's kind of nice to, to get a handle on what's out there as well as the pests. For grasshoppers, we're estimating adult populations, but we do swing a sweep net so that we can get an idea of what species are present because that can have some impact on, on the risk going into the next year. So it is really variable, again, depending on the species, what exactly we're monitoring for and, and what those data are used for in, in terms of an output. But all of the data that we collect gets put into a distribution map that does have an estimate of relative abundance, which can be indicative of potential risk to the crop. So so in terms of those distribution maps that kind of get made out of this, the, all the collection data that you and your team go out and find, are those more of what was the population distribution or are you and your collaborators able to almost create forecasting maps and kind of maybe give that tool to producers for the upcoming growing year? Well, they're all distribution and relative abundance maps. For the grasshoppers and the wheat midge, those do lean more slightly towards a forecast map and they've been called forecast maps in the past. And that's because for those particular species, we do really have a very good idea, a lot of historical data showing that high populations in one year will lead to a subsequently high population the next year, although weather does play an important role. So what happens in the spring could, of course, have an impact on the outcome of that forecast. So those two species do lean more towards a forecast. With the others, we just don't know enough about the biology of these pests, what's happening to them over the winter to have a, a really confident idea to be able to say that they could be used as a forecast map. So generally, we we do consider them, though, to be some kind of a risk map because they are showing the population densities that were there the previous year. And unless something really wild and, and crazy happens, we kind of expect to see similar densities in those areas the next year. So there is some estimate of risk, but it does require a lot of interpretation at that local level. These are regional maps. So we, we use ArcGIS techniques to Krieg and, and interpolate the data because, of course, we can't collect data from every single field across the prairies as hard as we might try. Uh, so, so we use these GIS methods to make these estimates, and they are regional. And so it's really important that anyone using those maps uses them as information that then they can take to their field and say, okay, well, I kind of live in this area that has some red fields or red being high risk or high density. So maybe it's more important that I go scout those fields next year because I could have high densities of that pest. It, it, it really needs to be taken as information and then applied by individual farmers as, as maybe more reason to go scout for example, if it's a high density than if it was a low density in that region. And who doesn't want an extra reason to go out and uh, scout their field? Maybe anyone who's not so keen on insects. <laughs> oh, that's very true. 
Next farmer. Next producer. Next rancher. Next generation. You're ready to find your place in the Canadian agriculture industry and Farm Credit Canada is here to help. We'll finance your operation, offer transition planning and provide learning and advisory services. Join our events and peer groups so you can network with other young producers like you. Get ready for what's next. Talk with Farm Credit Canada or visit fcc.ca slash nextgen. Let's hop into how this past growing season was. So I know that the risk maps aren't out yet, or I guess as of recording right now, but in general, could you maybe go over how this past year in 2022 was for insects across the prairies? I can certainly touch on a few. You're correct that at this point, the regional maps have not been released, but a lot of the provincial maps have or are in the process of being released. And so certainly please do go and visit the provincial websites and then look up or like Google Cabbage Seed Pod Weevil Alberta 2022, things like that. And you should be able to find those maps. So historically, the, the Prairie Pest Monitoring Network, because we do rely so much on the input from the provinces, we always try to get their maps out first and then look at the more regional picture after that. So we're we're kind of in that partway point where some of the provincial maps are out and the regional maps are coming. Well, we, we've maybe had a few surprises in the last few years and, and maybe not surprises, but We've, we've definitely seen that cabbage seed pod weevil numbers are very, very low across the prairies, even in southern Alberta and southwestern Saskatchewan, where their numbers have typically been higher. We've just found that that there's not a lot of weevils out there, or at least not when we've been sweeping. I helped to process the samples from the Regina area in in Saskatchewan this fall. And I think the most weevils I found in a series of 25 sweeps was 11. So yeah, the numbers and then down there, we we do typically see higher numbers. So, So that's been very interesting. We've also seen at a high level a shift in the pea leaf weevil population, again, further north into Alberta and Saskatchewan and further to the northeast in Saskatchewan. So it used to be that we had pretty high population densities in southern Alberta and southern Saskatchewan, and their populations seem to have crashed and are are moving northeast, which is interesting. Grasshoppers, though, are probably the biggest story. I could talk about all of these insects for a very long time, but grasshopper populations are definitely on the rise. I went out this fall to help with our species composition survey and the further south I drove towards the U.S. border in Saskatchewan, the more grasshoppers there were. And so I think 2023 is definitely going to be a year to be on the lookout for grasshoppers early in the spring because grasshoppers are easier to kill when they're small. So unless we have a really wet and cool spring, I think that uh, grasshoppers are definitely going to be something to be on the lookout for going into 2023 because they were quite widespread with quite high densities in 2022. Well, that's good to know that uh, we already have a good idea that grasshoppers might be a thing in 2023 and people should be on the lookout, but it's also awful to hear that grasshoppers are going to be a thing for a couple years in a row here. So In terms of this past year, do you already have an idea of some of the specific weather patterns or 
you know, if we had high precipitation in, in one area, did that kind of influence some of these insect populations like these grasshoppers? It, it certainly does. I can't really comment on it on a really broad across the prairies thing, but I guess the, the species that is one of the best examples of a relationship with weather, especially if precipitation is the wheat midge, where we need to have a certain amount of rainfall in the spring in order for the larvae to complete their development in the soil and then move to the soil surface and pupate before they emerge when um, wheat is at its most susceptible stage, usually in early July. If we don't get that rainfall, if we don't get enough rain, then the, the wheat midge will just stay in the soil and wait until next year. So we certainly had areas this year where the precipitation levels resulted in more wheat midge emerging than we might have normally expected because, well, the sample numbers were low, but they did get the, the moisture that they required. So those that were there managed to get to that adult stage and, and cause some, some trouble. So Weather is definitely an important part or a very important consideration in terms of any of the forecasts that we're talking about or semi-forecasts that we're talking about because we don't know what's going to happen for the weather really in spring of 2023. The Farmer's Almanac might have some ideas, but we really just never know what's going to happen and it can be so localized. So that's where having an idea of what the relative abundance of those insects was last year can be very helpful going into next year. But what happens with the weather is is really important because it, again, can have such a big impact on the life history of these insects. I already talked about cool and wet versus hot and dry for grasshoppers, for example. We know that grasshoppers love hot, dry conditions. So if it's hot and dry this spring, watch out for grasshoppers, especially in the southern parts of our provinces. Definitely. So in terms of, I know you mentioned, you know, the lower populations for cabbage seed pod weevil and these increased populations for grasshoppers, but were there any other trends that you saw across the prairies for some of the other insects that the Prairie Pest Monitoring Network surveys for? I think the, the most interesting one or one that I haven't talked about yet is Bertha armyworm. Adult Bertha armyworm numbers were very low in 2022 in the pheromone traps. The economic threshold is based on insects on the plants, but we have a pretty good idea in some cases that the risk is higher or lower of meeting that economic threshold depending on the number of adult male moths we catch in pheromone traps. And the map is pretty much pale green all across the prairies, indicating quite low trap captures and and a fairly low overall risk, which is kind of getting to be a surprise because we've kind of been waiting for a Bertha armyworm outbreak to happen. They tend to cycle on about an eight to 10 year cycle. And it's been at least eight to 10 years, I think, since we've had a, a really big Bertha outbreak. It happened before I joined Egg Canada. So that's been very interesting to see is like every year we're just kind of waiting and, and we won't be surprised if it happens, but it still hasn't happened, which has kind of been a surprise. So it'll be very interesting to see what happens with, with Bertha. And just very quickly, the other one is a diamondback moth. And so we do put out pheromone traps for diamondback moth in the spring for about eight weeks. And the idea there is to detect if they're arriving from the United States or Mexico. The, the common knowledge is, is that 
the vast majority of diamondback moth who reach adulthood here in one year cannot survive the winter to emerge and, and be a pest here the next year. So we are monitoring for migrants coming in and using that as a biofix date to run models and to just be aware that they might be coming into the prairies. But this year we, we had fairly low trap catches. So like they were coming in, but in quite low numbers. But then later on in the season, we did have areas where diamondback moth populations were a lot higher than people would have thought based on those trap catches. And, and I just like in this case to, to remind people that the trap catch is not related to the economic threshold. And diamondback moth can have many generations in a single growing season if it's hot. And last year were, were the perfect conditions for multiple generations of diamondback moth, which can lead to quick population buildup and then damage that you might not expect. So again, scouting for diamondback moth is really important. And it's kind of based on those trap catches. If they're present in your area, you want to look out for them. But the, the numbers on the traps are not related to that potential for risk of population buildup. So it's kind of a tricky situation, but just something to, to be aware of. And I'm sure we'll be talking more about that going into the spring and, and summer of 2023 as well. Just have to be ever vigilant for those pesky insects, even if the trap catcher data, I guess, is quite low, which is very interesting to to hear. So uh, that's just exactly before, it. <laughs> right. So just before we wrap up, if a producer wants to look for the Prairie Pest Mario Network information or if they potentially want to sign up and maybe see if they can help out in whatever way that they might be able to, what are the different ways that a producer or an agronomist can get involved with the Prairie Pestinari Network? That's a great question. And I really appreciate you asking it because we would not be able to do what we have been able to do as a network without all of the volunteers and all of the people who have contributed data or access to property, told us stories and asked us to come out to their fields to see what's going on. That level of contribution is, is so important to what we're doing as a network particularly with, with changes to trespass laws and with Ag Canada policies about access to, to private property. And so in terms of volunteering and getting involved, my contact information is, I believe, on the Prairie Pest Monitoring Network website. It's megan.bankowski at agr.gc.ca. So that would be one way to get in touch and say, hey, please come out to our fields or include our fields in your surveys. In Saskatchewan, the provincial government has a website set up where producers can go to volunteer to be part of the surveys for pests in the province. So that's not just insects, that also includes plant pathogens and weeds. So if you're willing to volunteer your property, then it could be visited by a few of us for very quick visits to take samples, sweep net samples, for example. So that's that's one way you can visit the Saskatchewan Ministry of Agriculture homepage and, and find the link to add your name to that volunteer database. In terms of finding information about the Prairie Pest Monitoring Network, we do have a website. It's prairiepest.ca. All of our monitoring protocols are posted there, as well as the risk maps from previous years. Other information, there's links to the guides that Ag Canada has produced on cutworms and wireworms and just insects as a whole. So there's all kinds of great information on that website. It's still in construction, so some of it is is not maybe what it 
will be in the future, but but the basics are all there. And, and so please do visit the website and consider subscribing to our weekly updates. During the growing season, we're using different phenology models based on the historical data that we've collected for monitoring to predict the timing of different insect stages, like when grasshopper eggs are hatching and young nymphs might start to appear, for example. So we we release those weekly updates to our email subscribers on a weekly basis. So please do consider signing up for those for more insect information than you might ever want, but hopefully something that could be very useful over the course of the growing season. Thanks for tuning in to Inputs, the podcast by Top Crop Manager. To hear more great research and perspectives from industry experts, visit topcropmanager.com slash podcasts or catch up on past episodes wherever you listen to podcasts.